quick warning before we begin, our episodes are made for adult ears, so do expect to hear some swear words and occasionally some adult themes. Oh, one more thing while we're at the warnings, a note on sound quality. These episodes have been produced by us in isolation. They're not made in our usual studio, so they don't sound as slick. But bear with us. I promise you the content is worth waiting around for. Hey, Daisy, can we make some podcasts? Yeah, we've got so much time on our hands. Sounds good to me. Every day we could bring a good and a bad news item, what's keeping us going, what's making us blue, and then we'll try and get as many guests as we can. Stunning. Let's do it. (laughs) I'm Daisy Grant, and you're listening to Harness, Isolation Diaries. So today we thought we would do something a little bit different because our most popular guest and our favourite human in maybe the whole world asked us to do something And I think we're incapable of saying no to Sonia Ryan. I literally would do anything that she told me. She's a phenomenal human being and we continue to get incredible feedback about the episode that we recorded with her, which is episode two of our first season. I don't think you can listen to Harness without having listened to that episode because I do truly think that it influenced all of our work. It was a really phenomenal experience and I'm I'm so proud of that episode. I'm proud of Sonia. I'm grateful for her for sharing her story. And I'm really, really touched that it's had such an impact on people. And it's not only the most listened to episode, but it's the one that we really have people reaching out and wanting to say how impacted they were. So she is absolutely amazing. So if you haven't listened to that episode, then go back now and check it out. So on Instagram this morning, we got a little notification from her suggesting that we share our Corona epiphany, which is a term that they came up with at the Carly Ryan Foundation, just to talk about little epiphanies you might have had during lockdown. And so we thought rather than sharing an Instagram post, we would include it in today's introduction. We do like to visit the news of the week, but I think we all know what's going on. And sometimes it is a little bit depressing. Uh, particularly with the likes of Boris Johnson and Stay Alert and all that. So we will come back to it, but we thought we'd just keep shaking things up. So, Daisy, can you tell us what your corona epiphany has been? I guess this has been a really good time to reflect inwards. I've come to confirm in this time what I need to function. I've always kind of said, oh, I need loads of sleep. Oh, I need to have structure. Oh, I need to have this and that. But it was always justified by working hard and, you know, going out and I come home and I'm exhausted. So I need to sleep for eight, nine hours. Like you need to earn it? Exactly. I always felt like I needed to justify why I needed that much sleep or why I wanted the house to be clean or what, you know, but in this time without anything to justify I'm just enjoying it and I still need that eight nine hours sleep to function normally and I don't have to exhaust myself to earn it and that's been really nice just to kind of understand what I need to function comfortably as a human I need to go outside every day I just need it otherwise it messes me up for a week so I think a lot of my corona epiphanies have been upon reflection Yeah, like the messaging that you tell yourself. I'm sure a lot of people can relate to the idea of you're only allowed sleep, food, alcohol, rest, TV time, etc. If you've 
had a hard day or you're feeling bad or you've earned it. And why do I have to punish myself in order to earn positive things? You know, it's not always a reward system and sometimes the reward of like getting through the day. Exactly. Especially now. So what has your current epiphany been? My current epiphany, I think it's pretty basic, but I love animals and I've been isolating with a dog and it's made me realize how much animals bring to, to people's lives and how lovely it is to have a dog or an animal that you love and just how wonderful they are. And it really, really makes me want to get a pet of my own. And I think you were saying even you're finding yourself appreciating other animals that you, you wouldn't normally like the birds. I mean, there is this one fucking annoying pigeon that's decided to get a nest outside my bedroom. Are pigeons even birds or are they... Sky rats. Sky rats. Yeah. He's I don't hate good. them. He's just very loud. He's very... He's a bit of a pain. I even... I mean, anyone who knows me will know that I have a strong hatred of magpies and crows. You, well, all birds, no? Yeah. <gasps> Do you want to know something? Yeah, go on. Howard told me that Australian magpies aren't real magpies. Yeah, he told me that too. Uh, I think that's true, but I was so anti-bird at the time that I just moved on past. You can't think about the birds. But what I meant about the birds, Daisy, is that even I'm appreciating the birds. And there's this little magpie who my mother feeds on the daily, but even I'm feeling a little bit of love towards the magpie. I've just, I've always loved animals, but I think I appreciate them more than ever. Should we hear from our lovely friends and followers of the podcast now, Daisy? Yes, please. I'm Anna. I'm a civil servant and I am currently isolating with my housemate, Matt. Uh, Matt is having to shield. So if anyone who doesn't know what shielding means, it means you basically can't leave the house for 12 weeks, which is super hard. So shout out to Matt. Um, He's doing great. And all the other people who are having to shield as well. I'm feeling okay. I mean, I have ups and downs. There are days when I feel like crap. Other days when I feel like I'm on some super high and I'm like super productive and I just get out of the house and and run like eight miles (laughs) only once a day of course um so yeah I think I'm just taking each day as it comes and trying to stay positive and staying as uh, in touch as I can with all my friends and family I think that's so important uh during this time to really to really value those relationships and support each other my mum used to always say to me as a kid, being bored is really good. And I was always like, whatever, mum. Uh, maybe there's a little bit of truth uh, in that statement. So yeah, thanks, mum. But I think also like I'm enjoying uh, just the human interactions with people and just the little things. I think like for anyone who lives in London, you'll know that the chances of knowing your neighbour are relatively slim. But I had this really nice experience yesterday. Um, the sun was shining and I stepped out my front door and the woman who lives directly opposite had her door wide open and she was sitting in the doorway. She's kind of an elderly woman. And she just smiled at me and gave me like a massive wave as if we'd known each other for years. And I was like, hello. <laughs> and like waved at her back and it was so nice. And I think appreciating the little things like that um, are really, really special. I think the worst part is definitely the lack of human contact. For anyone who knows me, you know I'm quite affectionate. Um, I love hugging and kissing everyone. So yeah, I'm definitely really missing that. Um, 
and I guess having a good boogie. I really hope there'll be a big old party once this is all over. But good things to come, and everyone, stay safe, stay positive. Hello, um, my name is Blair. I am a, <laughs> I am a gay man. I am isolating with lots of straights, but they're nice friends, they're flatmates, they're lovely. I'm feeling good, mostly. Sometimes anxious, but that's just because I miss my boyfriend, because I'm a gay man. Uh, I'm entertaining myself with Legend of Zelda... Uh, I've already cracked a few times, so I'm like a, an antique teapot. I'm really enjoying not working, actually. It's nice. Just there. And the worst part is, I miss my boyfriend. I know it's an awful answer, but I miss my boyfriend because I'm a gay man. I miss my boyfriend. And miss other people, miss family and stuff as well. The end. Thanks so much again for all of the voice notes being sent in. There's still time to submit if you haven't yet. So get on it. On to today's episode. We chat to Deba Syed, an employment lawyer and activist based here in the UK. Deba works alongside Rights for Women and runs their free advice line for women sexually harassed at work. Her work is incredibly vital and we wanted her perspective on how lockdown has affected those who have been harassed and also victims of domestic abuse. We touch on the flaws in the legal system, the lack of financial support from the government which further endangers women and the bravery and persistence of women to see justice. We also spoke about the responsibility of women when it comes to domestic violence and sexual harassment claims. Both societally and politically, the onus for change is placed on the victim. This chat took place on the 29th of April, so any statistics mentioned were correct at the time of recording. We were honoured that Deba took the time to chat to us, and we hope you find our discussion as informative as we did. Could you tell us a little bit about rights of women and in particular the advice line you set up and you're currently running? Um, yes, yeah, so uh, Rights of Women are um, a legal charity. They give free legal advice to women. They, you know, they're born out of the feminist movement, like from the 70s. They are hardcore. They've always done family law and criminal law, and, and they focus on violence against women. Uh, but employment law and abuse of women in the workplace was always just like something that's, you know, we knew it was happening. We knew sex discrimination was happening, but there was never really like the money and the resources. And then after Me Too happened, like, you know, this extraordinary moment in history where suddenly the whole world was paying attention and it managed to generate a lot of money. A bunch of celebrities got together and they were like, right, this is great, but we've got to make sure the same thing happens in the UK. So it was Emma Watson who put down like an incredibly generous personal donation. And it wasn't just her, it was like um, other celebrities as well. So there was like Emma Thompson and Kira Knightley and other people and they put down this money and then the public also raised money too. So with that, what they did, they were good enough to give that money to the women's sector who have been so, you know, desperately underfunded for years. And yeah, that's why we're able to run this advice line. So, you know, it's a landmark service. There's never been anything like it. Free legal advice to women who have experienced sexual harassment in the workplace. Specialist advice given directly by all women employment lawyers. So all of our services are for women, by women. And yeah, it's been incredible. And it's kind of, it's unbelievable that there's, you know, like we're the only one doing this, but because, you know, if you think about domestic violence, there are loads of charities, loads of advice lines, you know, this is underfunded, but you know, it's, it's still there, but there really was no place to go if you needed specialist support. And, you know, there's, there's, there's hardly any legal aid as well. So getting free legal support is, it's basically gold dust. So I'm really happy to be part of it. What sort of team do you have? And like, do you get a lot of calls? I'm the only one running the advice line in terms of like the lawyers who run the advice line. And I give advice on the advice line as well. But I had such an amazing response. Like I, I advertise because I have loads of volunteers 
who help me as well. So I just, I advertise, look, I need employment lawyers to come and give advice. And I got like loads of applications, loads of people who wanted to help. So I've got about 26 women who do like shifts on the line with me as well. Unfortunately, because of the pandemic, our offices are closed. So Um, none of them are working right now. We would hope or expect that after movements like Me Too and Time's Up that there is actual measurable change going on in the background and that things are looking better. But from your perspective, are they looking better? Is that a naive Um, point of view or is there actual change being made? I am always so impressed by the women who call us who are so determined for this person not to get away with what they have been doing, you know, the wrong that they have been doing to them. I I definitely think that women just are more, maybe they feel more supported or whatever, the environment is just different, that they feel that they can come forward and take legal action or, you know, fight back. You know, I'm only dealing with a tiny percent of women. I know the problem is so much bigger and I'm always thinking about how do I get to those women who it's not an option really to fight the sexual harassment that they're going through because they need that job so much or they need to pay their mortgage or, you know, it's a very aggressive kind of move. Your, your employment relationship will probably be over. It's not something that everybody wants to do. So there's that. So the, I think the problem is that we've still, you know, the Me Too happened and that's amazing. And we're having these conversations and it, it changed the game, but all the systems are still the same. You know, it's still the same really crappy system that every woman has to go through. And until that changes, I don't know how much, you know, systemic change we're going to see. I came to realise very quickly that, you know, I'm a sexual violence professional because a lot of the women who call us are calling us who, you know, they've been sexually assaulted by somebody that they, they now have to sit you know, two meters away from them in the office or, you know, it's, um, you know, extremely damaging to their careers, but also to them as people. So, you know, a lot of the stuff we see on the advice line is, you know, it's, it's much darker than perhaps I was even prepared for because, you know, I'm an employment lawyer, but, you know, often we're dealing with criminal matters here. So for me, it's it's been really eye-opening. Like now, if anyone just says, oh, you know, sexual harassment is like banter and it's not that big of a deal, I'm just like, no. <laughs> You don't know what I've heard. and Yeah, I really wish if I could sit down everybody and like force them to listen to the advice line because, you know, I don't think you could even have that conversation. You could even plausibly still think that when you, you know, after a few hours on the line, yeah, um, start to really understand the picture. And, and, and what's so sad about it is that it's, it's the same story over and over and over and over again. And the problem is when you're being sexually harassed in the workplace, you feel so isolated, you think, you think you're the only one. And because we don't talk about it, we have a culture where you're not allowed to really say that out loud because it's some sort of weakness or it's something you've brought onto yourself. You just feel incredibly isolated. But, you know, my experience is that, that you know, very often these perpetrators have a pattern of behaviour. They've done this to other women. You know, these things tend to escalate in terms of behaviour. But that person who's going through it might not know that. And they have to take it all on their own, all, all on their shoulders. And it's just... It's so tough for them. You mentioned about the fear of losing your job. You know, you've got a mortgage to pay. You don't want to bring up these things for the fear of losing that. Particularly now, if you have a job, you're being told to count your lucky stars because you could be furloughed. You could not have a job. So what have you been hearing through the helpline 
during this crisis. It sounds awful, but it would take a lot for someone to call you with that fear. Yeah, yeah no, it's definitely something I've noticed on the advice line because it obviously affects your options, right? Because people say, oh, if you're just being sexually harassed, why don't you just leave that job? Um, you know, just go work somewhere else. Um, and right now, exactly what you're saying, being furloughed or the job market right now, it might not be an option. So I am really concerned that there are going to be women who are just staying on in a harassment situation because they don't really have a choice. But then I've also seen some women who are like working from home for the first time and they, they don't have to be next to their perpetrator all day long they've broken that pattern or just something has been like disrupted you know they have felt more able to call us because they're you know sort of just exploring their options and learning a bit more about what the process would be like in a way that I think maybe if they were going in in the same way and things were just the same they I guess might, you could see like yeah. a basic level of productivity that you wouldn't be able to have if you were at yeah. work in fear like if you're at home you're in your own space you would you'd be like oh actually wait a minute there's something wrong here yeah yeah definitely but you know but then having said that misogyny is very adaptable <laughs> i know that women are being harassed online or through like cyber means so it's very adaptable you know it's, it's kind of in a way it can be easier to exclude people when you're not all in the office together because you know women are telling me those ways that they get undermined or they get excluded so you know women telling me that they're not invited to meetings on purpose or that their boss like purposely mutes them in in zoom meetings silence them or just like not you know women telling me that they're just being like constantly getting like constant phone calls and um really high demands on their time really unreasonable uh, expectations especially if you have kids right now and you, you know you might have your kids at home and i am worried that some bosses will be like right well we're gonna make you redundant when this is over or you know we weren't happy with your performance while the pandemic was happening so yeah we are sort of getting little hints that that might happen as well i was completely ignorant to this fact that at the moment there is quite a tight time limitation on reporting workplace sexual yeah. harassment, right? Yeah, this is a massive issue. In the um, you know, in England and Wales, which is the legal jurisdiction, in the employment tribunal, you have three months minus one day from the act of discrimination, okay? So that could be from the moment of harassment, but there tends to be other acts of discrimination that happens as well. But basically you've got three months um, give and take, right? It's not an exact science, but it's three months from the incident. And um, let me tell you that, you know, most women who experience harassment or discrimination, you know, they might need months or years to process what's happened. Women are so programmed, in my experience, to be nice, to be good girls. Yes that it takes three months to even figure out what the fuck is happening to you and to go, yeah. am I being like, am I, am I being weird? Am I taking this too seriously? Yeah. Like, can't I just have a joke? Particularly if you're a new employee or when you're a vulnerable employee, that's no time at all. Yeah, and like nobody wants to be the person that's like filing the sexual harassment complaint, you know, like so many women are just like suffering in silence or they're just going, hmm, I can bear this. It happens all the time where women come to us and they, they want to start learning their, you know, their rights and what they can do. And they tell me it happened a year and a half ago. You know, it makes me really upset because you... You've got three months to make the employment tribunal claim, okay? So that's like going down a very legal process. But 
as well, you know, most people, when they've been sexually harassed, they don't just file a claim in the employment tribunal, right? Like you might go to your boss and, you know, talk to your colleagues about it. You want to try and resolve this, right? You want to keep working in that organization, ideally. I mean, it depends on the seriousness. I mean, that's why the calls we get are so serious because when a woman's been sexually assaulted at a Christmas party or like, you know, work drinks or whatever, like they want to know their legal rights more. But if it's, I hate that word, but like kind of lower level harassment, you might, you know, at first explore your options. And so like an employer will force you to go through an internal process as well. You have to raise a grievance and then they have an investigation and you have to go through all these steps and that takes longer than three months. So it's, it's, it's unfair. It really, it really favours employers and not victims. How would you propose we address that or what would you like to see change in, in that regard? We're calling for an emergency extension of the time limit to at least six months during COVID at the very least. That's still um, so modest, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's a really modest ask. In law is a very slow moving thing, but for discrimination and harassment, you only have three months. It's it's really out of sync with the rest of the time limits in law. Some of them are three years, some of them are six years, but something like discrimination and harassment, you only get three months. Like that bracket has been built to enable the perpetrators even further. Because that, that three month bracket is like, you're not gonna report things until they get, in quotation marks, worse or like you said that you know they move on from the lower end of harassment again i'm doing quotation marks because this is all <laughs> awful but yeah it's just it just allows the behavior to continue yeah and it's you know it's not just women it's well it's like minorities it's discrimination it's just you know the disabled people it will be yeah. any minority will suffer um and you would have thought if you really don't want people to be harassed and discriminated in the workplace, you would give them enough time to be able to enforce their legal rights. But the fact of the matter is this happens all the time. And I don't have a number, but I know a huge percent of people sort of realise, oh, well, I just have no legal options now because of this completely arbitrary time limit. We're lucky, though, in this country, like for sexual assault claims and criminal matters, there isn't a time limit. But if you think about the Harvey Weinstein allegations, right, there were loads of women who were timed out from, you know, going to court or having any kind of justice because it's called the statute of limitation. And it's just basically a completely arbitrary cut off date that says, if you haven't come forward since this date, tough. As a female lawyer, how do you feel looking at Harvey Weinstein's female attorney right he has a, a woman at the head of his legal team doesn't he yeah. yeah I mean obviously it like flies in the face of what I do particularly because we are a band of women lawyers who work specifically on women issues against violence against women it it flies in the face of everything I believe but yeah some of the things she said were just absolutely appalling the victim blaming it's just and I think it was clearly a clever PR move on his behalf to have a woman represent him. But, you know, I really think he thought he could run a media circus and kind of play on people's doubts, you know, put Me Too on trial instead of him and sort of play into people's kind of prejudice against the movement. But at the end of the day, you know, raping people, it's, it's nothing new. What was put in front of the jury 
was you know substantial evidence good evidence compared to some rape trial cases and you know they came to the right decision i'm really glad that he faced justice because it was really significant as well because you want women to feel like they can get justice because sometimes when they come into contact with the justice system you know they've gone through the awfulness of the harassment and then they've gone to the effort to seek justice the emotional strain and the financial strain and that i can see why some people are just like right screw this i'm not going to do it and the fact that people who come to you know they come and actually they go to the police they do all that stuff and we have these shockingly low conviction rates for rape mm. and you you know sometimes you know when all the odds are against you that you're ever going to get a conviction or that person is ever going to go to jail for what they've done it is important to see some women go through that process and be successful and i hope that it inspires other women to to do the same thing so if we're moving on to domestic issues in particular right now what does lockdown mean for women around the world who are in abusive relationships so all the sort of main charities on the front line have reported massive upticks of calls, inquiries, requests for their services. I think Refuge, um, which is one of the charities that give temporary accommodation to women um, who flee domestic abuse, um, they got an increase of in one day. 700% increase in calls and you know I'm a bit you know to be honest we're quite annoyed about how the government's responded about it you know if you want to solve a problem you have to give it money you have to give it a you know a significant amount of money because all of these um all of these issues require services they require properly funded services so what all that campaign has done is said oh cool these services who are already turning women away because they have no money so refuges for example have been cut by i think 80 percent in the last 10 years 80 percent so you know they've been decimated in terms of what they can provide anyway and now all the you know all the government has said is call them up use their services the government was giving two million pounds to the services but then that's still not funding refuges right that's still not made that two million pounds was only for online services yeah um, it was only for, which is important actually in the lockdown, there will be people who need online services who want that. You know, the people who are fleeing, I mean, this is another problem anyway, but we always expect that the woman should have to leave the house. You know, the woman has to remove herself from the situation. And, you know, it's worth bearing in mind that half of all residents in refuges are children. So those women are often taking their small children with them and the perpetrator remains in the in the house there's been about i think 16 murders since the lockdown began two children have been killed by their father as well so i think we need to you know talk more seriously about removing perpetrators from the, the house um, they should lose the right to live in that property and some organizations have called for you know they should be evicted or that the police should have stronger powers to be able to remove them from the from the home or police should be able to keep people in custody longer so that you know people that they know are dangerous they can remove them from that situation but yeah no i've heard that um the government apparently are requesting 70 million from the chancellor to go directly to domestic abuse services. Is that 70 million that's been taken away over the past 10 years as well? I have no idea how much has cut, been cut over the last 10 years, mm. but I mean, I'm gonna take a stab that 70 million is, is not even a fraction of what's been uh, cut anyway. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just think it just goes to show like, you know, women are getting murdered, but 
you know, this is still not a priority. When's it going to be a priority? Like how many women have to die before we go, right, this is the unacceptable amount of num number of women. Deepa, you're amazing. And I feel like we could literally talk to you for hours because you are clearly so passionate and, you know, you're doing such incredible work. And all, like, all we can do is just say thank you for everything that you're doing and for speaking to us and I'm on behalf of all women everywhere that you're an inspiration. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Harness Isolation Diaries. We are proud supporters of Rafiki Mwema and the Carly Ryan Foundation. To hear more about their amazing work, check out the show notes. Also, if you want to share with us what you've been up to during these really uncertain times, drop us an email at projectharness at gmail.com or message us on Instagram. We love receiving your voice notes. Cheers. <laughs>